sometimes when we're hiring, we're kind of like, we have an opposite mentality, like, Oh, am I going to find the right person? And it's kind of this like, like vibe of desperation. But really what you're putting out there is this job opportunity for someone, which is awesome. And they're going to get to step inside your business and learn. Like you got to make sure that they are the right. You were just listening to Elise Dharma on hiring people for her business. In this episode, I talked to Elise about taking her side hustle as a social media manager to a full-time gig, and she's in the multi-six-figure range. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington. This episode is part of the Digital Nomad series, and I think that's how I found Elise back in the day. I was like looking on Instagram for location-independent people, maybe I was following a hashtag or something or digital nomad something or other, and then ran across Elise's stuff. Elise is big on Instagram. I think I think uh, people call them influencers. I'm not cool like that exactly. So I'll just uh, assume that that is the case. Anyway, Elise is awesome on Instagram. The last time that I looked, I think she had something like 75,000 followers or somewhere in that range. And to that point, I want to point out that you can check out more of Elise's stuff over at elisedharma.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Additionally, she has a free course that you can grow a uh, thousand followers in 30 days on Instagram and it's called instagrowthboss.com. I'll put a link for that as well. Do check it out if you're looking to uh, you know, grow on Instagram or you know, just get started over there. So it's, it's a 30-day uh, program and it's free. So go check it out. And let's go ahead and send it to the interview now. I'm sitting with Elise Dharma. Welcome. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Doug. Thank you for joining us. And this is part of the Side Hustle series, so I think we'll just jump right into it. So for people that don't know you, Elise, can you give us a little bit of your background and kind of what you're working on now? Sure. Well, depends how far back you want to go, but um, I was a nine to five employee once upon a time. It was four years ago that I last worked in a day job. And it was during my time as an employee that I built my service-based business on the side. So I took my skills, my interests, my passions, and I turned that into a service that I could offer to clients. And within nine months, I had a pretty full roster of clients. I was able to quit my job, which had been a dream for a while, but also was still very scary. Anytime you're making a huge life change and you're leaving behind benefits and your friends and all that stuff. But I quit. And then with my new business in tow, I went traveling for a couple months right after. Effectively, it was kind of an eat, pray, love trip. But that was my first taste of being a full-time digital nomad, having a business with me that I could do from wherever in the world. And that's basically what I've been doing for the last few years. I'd say in the last two years, I've moved more into the education space of taking everything that I've learned, all the ups, the downs, and the mistakes, and sharing them with people so that they can also achieve this lifestyle-based business, um, but a whole lot faster than um, than I did. And uh, yeah, I find myself mostly fi- focused on Instagram these days. That's how I got my very first client was uh, growing their Instagram for their e-commerce business. And that's what I teach quite a bit now is Instagram marketing and how to use Instagram to grow your business. Very cool. And what was your your full-time job before you transitioned over to your own gig? I was working in social media. So I was working in social media pretty early on 
this was uh, 2010 when I started working in this realm and it wasn't what it is today. Being a social media manager essentially was managing a company's Facebook and Twitter. And I was lucky in that I was working in a startup space for, I was working in an incubator for startups. So I, I became known as kind of the social media person amongst, you know, 30 to 50 small businesses. And that's essentially how I was able to get my first client was by being in that environment. Inevitably, um, I was asked one day to manage a company's social media. Very cool. And that's like the perfect transition where you were exposed to a, a big network of people. You developed your skills like on someone else's like dime. Was that like intentional at all? Or are you just like were at the right place at the right time and like worked really hard? Yeah, I developed the skills on the side of the job just because I wasn't focused on Instagram for my actual job. I just knew that because I was already in the space, even though this was a new platform, I could figure it out. So I just had the the faith in myself that I'd be able to figure it out. And yeah, it all it did end up um, creating this ball of momentum that you know, just as word spread. And as I got more referrals, I did have a full-time business within nine months. And that was, you know, without a website, without personal brand, without making any launches happen, it was solely through my warm network and, and word of mouth. So, yeah. And I was also lucky in that I jumped on Instagram back in 2013 before it really was, you know, leveraged as much as it is today by businesses. Gotcha. And has it, so I didn't, I didn't hop on Instagram for a while. And I mean, some would say that I'm not really on there. My dog has an account. She's doing really well, like way better than my own account. But like, how has it changed over the last few years? Yeah, it's changed a lot. When I first started on Instagram, it was like the wild, wild west. There wasn't really much in terms of tools for businesses to grow. It was really like a teenager's playground. This was before Snapchat was really that big too. Um, You know, tons of overly filtered pictures, borders that came with posts. Even when I got on Instagram, I wasn't thinking about using it for business. If you go back to the very first um, few posts of my feed, it's a lot of party pictures and food pictures, you know, random stuff that we used to do. And uh, yeah, fast forward five years later, I mean, Instagram is Facebook's new Facebook, as they're saying. Um, It's where all the new features are being rolled out. And Facebook wants you to be using Instagram as the platform to grow your business. And for me and my business, it is an awesome advertising platform. But beyond that, you can still use Instagram in so many ways to grow organically. And that's huge too. That's why Instagram is so popular with businesses is because engagement is the highest there. People scrolling through the app are most ready to buy on Instagram than on any other platform. And um, that's why I cover in my masterclass a thousand, three ways to get a thousand Instagram followers in 30 days, because I truly believe that you actually don't need you know, 10,000 followers, 100,000 followers to have an impact on your business. You just need quality followers, the right followers following you that you then lead to your business. And like with a thousand, even less than a thousand followers, you can generate leads and customers to your business. No problem. I've seen it time and time again. Okay. So let's get into the nuts and bolts. Cause I, I think from the couple things that I just mentioned, I'm not very good at Instagram. I don't put a lot, of, a lot of effort in, so it's totally my own fault. But for me, I'm sort of thinking, 
like, do I have to post all the time and like really nurture and spend time on Instagram, like each and every single day? Can you just kind of explain it to me in layman's terms? Consistency is definitely key on Instagram. You'll hear that a lot probably if you start looking up Instagram marketing materials. Uh, But your audience wants to know that you're going to be there for them. You know, it's kind of like if you have a YouTube channel, which you do, and you let your your subscribers know new video every Tuesday. It's kind of the same idea with Instagram. If they get used to seeing a new post, a new piece of content from you on, let's say, a daily basis, they're going to want to see that. And when you do stop Um, that consistency, you're going to see a drop in followers and a drop in engagement. So it is a commitment. You know, it doesn't just happen overnight or without the effort. I, I tell business owners to focus on Instagram if that is where your perfect target ideal customers are. If that's where they're hanging out, then it's probably worth your commitment to um, building that brand, building that feed on Instagram. But more than that, I mean, people want to get value from Instagram. They don't want to be sold to or marketed to by following you on Instagram. So I define value in three ways in terms of Instagram land. Um, You can give value by inspiring people, by educating people, and by entertaining people. And your feed can be one of those things or a mix of those things. But that's generally why someone will follow you, like a personal brand account or a business brand account is they want to be entertained, educated or inspired. And if you can do that on a consistent daily basis, I say daily because it's usually the best frequency that most people can stick with. That could it could even be just weekdays, like Monday to Friday post every day. But if you can do that daily, then you are going to attract your your target people and your tribe on Instagram. Cool. And I guess, I mean, I hear the same sort of advice on YouTube, like you said, or for podcasts, like as long as you're meeting the expectations of your audience and your tribe and all that, you should be in good shape. So, and I guess that means you could probably like take a vacation and say like, Hey, I'm out of pocket for a a week and people won't get too upset at you. Right. Yeah. People love transparency. If you do want to let them know, Hey, I'm not a robot. I'm going to take three weeks off or you can just schedule posts um, ahead of time as well. Cool. Got it. So switching gears a little bit, let's kind of get into the nuts and bolts of like when you were first starting your freelancing practice and like how did you structure like the deals with your clients and how did you even figure it out? I know that's a a struggle for a service business when you don't know exactly what they want or what they'll pay and all that. So how did you approach it? Yeah, it was definitely trial by error. This was 2013. So the concept of a course or a business coach was nowhere near my my brain at that time. I just knew it was an experiment in a way. And I, I trusted in myself that I'd be able to figure it out. I was also lucky in that my first client was someone who um, I was friends with too. And they were also running a fairly new business. So we kind of had this understanding that we were figuring things out together. And it doesn't mean that I didn't take my role seriously. I definitely ensured that I was getting them results and making sure my deliverables were there. I never wanted a client to check up on me. Um, So I did set certain standards right from the beginning, even to give myself flexibility and just figuring it out. So that was my strategy. You know, a lot of it was using just what was common sense for me at that time. We had an agreement for me to work on there. The, The company was an e-commerce brand. So I already knew I was dealing with like a visual physical product, fashion, fashion brand. 
And I wanted to build that lifestyle into the feed of the target person. And the target customer at that time was typically a teenager. So the feed was a ton of fun. Um, I knew I was able to figure out the vibe, the messaging. I had a background in screenwriting and 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 copywriting. So I was able to tap into those skills to talk to teenagers through the captions. And then when it came to the business side of things, I mean, there was a lot of talking to my network of people who had already been there, done that. So I did reach out to people who could advise me on where to get a contract um, template, how to get that contract figured out, how to figure out, you know, invoicing a client, getting paid. What about accounting? Accounting was a whole new topic, dealing with taxes. Oh, and now I can write off expenses. Like this was all new. And um, luckily for me, I had two close friends that were also in the business space themselves. They were running startups. Um, So even with their perspective, they were able to help advise and I was able to figure it out from there. Cool. Actually, that's just amazing that all the pieces like fell into place. So you shaped it as best you could. And then you were able to like get advice as you went along. And then I guess after a few clients, you kind of had like the you know productized service where you were like, here's what you get. You get a couple options, that sort of thing. Yeah, in a way. I mean, at that time, I didn't really know about offering a package of services or anything too streamlined like that. It was more so someone would talk to me and they would tell me what they were looking for. And I would just sort of say like, yeah, I can do that. Or no, I'm not really into doing that so much. So I just stuck with my realm. I knew social media marketing I was comfortable with. Um, I knew I was comfortable with writing. So I was able to then offer newsletter writing skills And I also had experience with MailChimp. So I was also able able to design and deploy those newsletters as well. And then, of course, with writing came blog creation as well, writing blogs. So I just stuck with my strengths, writing, social media. And whenever they asked me for certain um, services around those, yes. Whenever they asked me for something like Facebook ads, I was like, "Mm, no, I'm not going to promise you something and then figure it out as I'm doing it. You know, when you're new and you're just starting your side hustle, you don't want to set yourself up for a big potential like disaster like that. You know, you want to be fairly comfortable in that skill, even even while you're still learning it, you know, even with clients, you want to be fairly um, competent in it before you start charging people money for it. Thank you for saying that. So many like uh, gurus or whatever will say like, just get the client to agree and then pay and then you can figure it out along the way, maybe hire other people to do it. And it's like, oh, that's the worst advice. Yeah. Oh, man. Outsourcing like someone that you're just meeting from from the Internet and then it's all going under your name. That is like a recipe for disaster for me. <laughs> yeah. Very scary. So yeah. interesting. And now, I guess, do you outsource anything now? Do you have any VAs or anything like that? Yes. Business has definitely changed. I would say for the first two years, I did mostly everything on my own. The very first contracted job I hired someone out for was to help with the writing aspect. So I turned to people I already knew, like in the flesh. I knew these people as friends, as coworkers. Um, I wasn't hiring overseas and, uh, and I was able to bring them on as ghost writers. And today I have a team of about five contractors and they help me with all the agency side of things. So 
I've got a designer, I've got a social media marketer, I've got a writer. And then for my Elise Dharma business, which is more of the coaching and the education space, I have a marketing VA and an ads person and now potentially a video person as well. So definitely, definitely as you grow, you know, you're going to, you're going to need to hire and add people to your team. And are you managing all of them yourself or do you have a project manager or any other folks in there? I'm the go-to person right now. Um, I have hired on a project manager who's my marketing um, assistant. And she, I mean, we're a couple months into working together. So we're just sort of getting, she's getting a feel for my entire business. And then eventually I'm going to be stepping back in that role. And then she's going to move forward into that role. Cool. Very cool. So from the freelancing perspective and just side hustle, do you have any like other advice or things that you like learned along the way as you were transitioning from like uh, side hustle to the full-time gig? Well, uh, my, some, some people recommend to go all in, like burn the bridge and quit your job and go all in. I've never advised that because my story was very different. I am someone who loves their security. As much as I love to travel, I call myself a uh, vagabonding homebody. You know, I love having a home base. I love having a secure level of income. And that was the scariest part about quitting my full-time job was leaving behind that consistent paycheck and benefits. Um, So For me, my strategy was to hold on to both my day job and my clients on the side for as long as I could possibly do both. Um, I did both for nine months. Some people are ready to ditch their day job after three months or six months. You know, I purposely wanted to hold on and save money and just create a little nest egg because I was pretty confident in myself, but it's still just such a massive leap, a massive life change. I just didn't really know what was going to happen. So I wanted to set myself up um, for success as much as possible. So I recommend that to anyone else. If they have the inkling to have their own business, you know, keep your current situation as is. And yes, you are going to have to work beyond your day job. When I had my day job, I was working 15 to 20 ish hours on top of it. So it meant two nights a week and a weekend day. You have to make sacrifices if you want to get to that level. Right. Um, so I do recommend to people work on either developing that skill on the side of your day job, that skill that you can use in the online world or work on developing your business on the side of your day job. Um, and then once you have that momentum, then you can kind of make the decision like, Oh, am I going to quit or not? Um, because it's a whole different picture when you are your own boss You aren't just doing services for your clients. You are doing the marketing of your business. You're doing the finances, the vision planning, the accounting, the nitty gritty tech stuff. Like you do have to do a lot. You want to prepare yourself as much as possible. So I know that's not super sexy advice and exciting, but um, to me, it's more practical. And, you know, I was advising any friend to do something like that. That's exactly what I would tell them to do. Me too. hundred percent agree. I mean, I... I had a side thing for like two years and I got laid off. So it was kind of like a little push, but yeah, I mean, I would have stayed with it for even longer if I could have, like you said, steady paycheck benefits, all the good things. So yeah. Yeah. Now I get a lot of questions about like how to stay motivated when maybe things aren't exactly going your way and you're, you have you know, your full-time job, you're trying to put the time in on the side. Like, how did you stay motivated when, you know, you were tired or just 
shit was going wrong? It was hard. Um, you know, for nine months I was sacrificing, like I said, two nights a week or a beautiful Saturday morning and afternoon. So you really have to be committed to the grander vision and understanding that you're not doing this for the rest of your life. You're, it's a temporary phase that you're in to prepare yourself and give yourself the best shot at having your own business full time. So I surrounded myself with people who understood where I was at. Um, I was, my boyfriend at the time worked in a really young, fast paced startup. His best friend was the CEO of that startup. So they became my go-to advisors in, um, a non-formal sense. And I actually ended up pulling back and pulling away from my friends who didn't get it. And maybe they just didn't have any experience with business. Um, maybe they didn't understand why I was working so much, but I found that I had to become really protective over my energy and who I was spending it with. And, you know, that saying you are the sum of the five people you surround yourself with the most that became really apparent in the first summer of juggling both day job and side business. Um, I started getting, having weird experiences with friends, um, which is actually totally normal. I've since learned. So if you have tension or a fight or something with family or friends, it is normal. Like that's totally fine. But, um, I, it made me retreat. It made me just get really protective because I was already putting myself out there on a limb, doing stuff that was really new, even building any kind of public facing brand. I'd never done that before. I had to take care of myself. I had to watch my own back and make sure that I was surrounding myself with people who I didn't have to question whether they supported me or not. They just did. So I think that's where I got my motivation from. They kept me on track. They kept me when things got tough, they kept me, you know, alert to the bigger vision, the bigger picture. And a year later, I mean, I was working remotely from, you know, Bali and then Costa Rica, then Hawaii. And it did start to happen, but yeah, you have to be really strategic about who you spend your time with. Very good. Yeah. I mean, that's really good advice. It's very hard if like people are like actively working against you or don't believe in what you're trying to do. So it is uh, uh, emotionally because yeah, you can start, you can keep um, turning the cranks in your business. You can, you know, deliver the work for your clients, but emotionally, if you're feeling beaten down at all, um, it can, it can take forever to do that work that shouldn't take so long. So you really got to protect yourself for sure. Let's change gears to like the travel aspect. So you, you quit your job and then you had clients and then you were like, I'm going to hit the road. So you went to, you said, Bali, Costa Rica, Hawaii, like how was it traveling and working at the same time? Yeah. And one extra uh, side note to that story was there was a major catalyst in my life to make travel happen. So as much as I'd love travel, I started traveling as a kid. Um, I have family all over the world. When I was 18, I finished high school and I went on a 30 day trip to Europe with Kentucky that was like, oh, wow, the world is so big and beyond my bubble. You know, I spent my whole 20s chasing that feeling of freedom through travel. I worked on a cruise ship. I moved across Canada. And it was interesting timing when I quit my day job. I was just getting into the new rhythm of working from home. I didn't have an office. I worked for my dining table. Wouldn't recommend that. Get a proper desk and chair. And just feeling a little sad about not being around my coworkers who were my good friends who you saw, who, you know, you see them every day. But um, 
a month and a half, two months after quitting, I went through a horrible breakup, totally blindsided. Um, and that's what actually put me into a tailspin of feeling extremely scared and alone for the situation I had just created, right? Like I just lost my, my coworker network. I just lost what I thought to be true with my relationship. It was a really interesting time because it really made me think about my family the most and just think like, you know what, they are the steady people there for me. And of course I had a few friends too, but in my haze of breakup depression and bewilderment, it was a friend of mine who really pushed me to book a trip to get out of my environment. And I already knew that I was going to go to Australia for a family wedding and it was because of this friend who encouraged me to stay stay traveling for a while. That's when I booked the uh, three-month trip to do Australia, Bali, Hawaii, my own Eat, Pray, Love. Um, and then, you know, that effectively was the first trip I took as a digital nomad. That was the first time I took my new business on the road. And that was not my intention. My intention... I just realized this like a year ago, like, hmm, that breakup didn't happen. I don't know if I would have traveled like I did. But it's so funny how, you know, you get that hindsight and that that perspective on life after you're out of it. But that's what was the catalyst for that trip away, leave Toronto winter, go to the warmth, um, have some time and space to heal and just be by myself and meet new people. And that was the catalyst for the, you know, digital nomad travelpreneur brand and business that I have today. Interesting. And did like, uh, I guess you're, you're big on Instagram, right? So like, did it grow a lot during that period? Like because you were traveling and had more interesting things to, or am I connecting dots that don't connect? Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about it at that point. Um, this was a year before I actually looked at my own personal Instagram. I was very, very shy and private and personal at that time. So I was sharing pictures of Australia and Bali with, you know, captions that weren't really, uh, I wasn't being literal or super clear about what was going on. I was just leaving random quotes and stuff like that because I was in a place personally where I wasn't ready to publicly post about and talk about the breakup and everything. I just purely, I believe that there are seasons in your life. And that was a season where I thought it was going to be business focused, but life happened. And it was actually a season of focusing on myself personally. And that was okay. The business stuff came around after I got out of that fog and I had, I needed that time. I Uh, it, It was a catalyst for me to come back home. You know, I ended up meeting with a therapist for the first time ever and loved it and talked to this person for eight months later and really helped me unpack a lot about my life that, again, has helped me get super clear on who I am and way more confident in having the the public brand and persona that I have today. So it was all necessary. Yeah. At that time, the Instagram um, idea of building my own personal brand, which that came along so that I could get more clients for my agency. I needed more clients for my agency. I wanted to grow that business. I thought, Oh, I'll just grow my personal account with all my travel pictures that I have. Um, but that didn't happen until a year and a half later. So Hmm. interesting. So like, have you done other like long trips and travel a lot like since then? 
Yeah. I, when I look at my travel days every year, it always works out to be just over a hundred days of each year I spend working remotely. Um, since then I've done pretty much one month spurts in different areas. I'm really a fan of traveling to a place and not moving around for a bit, like stay there for a minimum a week. And I've also learned that if I am going to switch cities, I need to save my travel for the weekend because it's too annoying to have a whole work day like written off because you're on the plane or on a train. So Nicaragua for a month with a company called Nomad Life, which that was really cool. Um, I've done Costa Rica a few times. And my most recent longer trip was Bali um, last November. And I tend to partner now with other um, digital nomad um, co-working based companies and uh, work with them and stay with them for a month and yeah, work and live from somewhere cool. Cool. And I, I like that like one month period in a place too. You get to go to the grocery store and like live like a local a little bit versus like feeling rushed to see everything. So I like yeah. that too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you in any mastermind groups or have you been over the years to, you know, help you grow your business and that sort of thing? I am. So for the first couple of years of my agency business, I just was a lone soldier, figured things out, asked my advisors. Um, and then that summer of, you know, of realizing I wanted to grow a business. That's when I started focusing on my personal account as a portfolio piece, essentially. And then when my personal account really had momentum, I think around 25,000, 30,000 followers, that's when I realized, oh, I could hire someone who, who could help me figure out how to grow this as a business. That was the first time I realized a business coach was a thing. So that was the first time that I hired a coach. We worked together for five months to work on really at that time, I was creating a new second business and I didn't realize it. So I needed that help to figure out who this new audience was. Why were they following me? What did they want to learn? Turns out they wanted to learn Instagram marketing and how to have your own business. So this was 2016. So since then, it's really just been tapping into that network, learning who those people are and serving them as much as I possibly can. And then just last year was when I joined a mastermind for the first time. So that was when my business had grown. So, you know, my revenue hit over six figures for the first time. Because for the, for the first couple of years of running my own business, my revenue was pretty steady. You know, I was one person doing services and I didn't know how to scale it. So I was typically making the same amount every year. And with the lifestyle business, I was fine with that. I just wanted to work remotely. And then when I realized I wanted to grow a business and start to work towards financial freedom, that's when my goal shifted. That's when I hired a coach. That's when I hit six figures. After I hit six figures, new benchmark, new goal to hit. And then I joined a mastermind, um, which has also helped increase my revenue too. Gotcha. And is the, I, I think mastermind is, there's multiple definitions. So is this like a group that you joined and paid or it's like a group of, uh, you know, few people you guys chat every couple of weeks or a combination or what's your definition? That's a better question. This particular mastermind is um, a group that I've joined with other entrepreneurs and we all pay a monthly um, fee essentially, but it's a year long commitment. So, um, yeah, when I made that commitment to join, it was fairly serious because it's not a membership site where you can try it for a couple months and then cancel it. This was a signing a contract, 12 month commitment. 
And which is very scary when you're, you're committing to a big chunk of your revenue every month with the hopes of growing your business. But luckily for me, it was a good decision and it's helped me grow my revenue. Um, but if that's not a possibility for you, um, I definitely recommend forming a little coalition mastermind with people who just get it. Like they're working on the same thing as you before I ever had a paid mastermind. I connected with a friend of mine in the city that I lived in Toronto, and we were both working on two totally different businesses. Um, hers was a software based business, creating a meal planning software for nutritionists and mine was service based, but because we were both doing it kind of alone, we agreed to meet up with each other once a month at a coffee shop. We kind of had a loose agenda of what to talk about, like our wins, um, our losses, our lessons learned, our goals for the next month, but it just turned out to be kind of business therapy and it was perfect. Like, it, it was a reason to get out of the house. It was a reason to feel like I'm not the only one feeling like this. So yeah, I definitely recommend connecting with someone in your city in person once a month, if you're not going to do the paid route just yet. Cool. And the groups that I've been in were more like the latter and totally like the business ther- therapy stuff. Like that's kind of what it ends up being, but what, what would be like the advantages or pros and cons for either of them? Right. So I'm curious, like with that paid mastermind, like what extra stuff do you get? Yeah, it's totally different because the way to do it with a friend or just through your community, um, you're generally exchanging ideas and thoughts and giving each other your time. Um, yeah, it's therapy. Whereas the mastermind that's paid depends how the mastermind's structured, but typically you'll get a chunk of like assets with your membership. So you'll get, um, you know, software trainings that you need to know to grow your business. You'll get templates, um, with this mastermind that I'm in, it's not just the main business leader, um, who we're looking to for strategy and advice, but there's also a tech person who knows all the tools that we use in our business inside and out. So if we ever have a tech problem, I just message this person and they help me right away. Um, there's also someone from mindset too. And this was interesting cause I really never thought I had any, you know, dramas going on in my business life or personal life that I needed to talk to a mindset coach. But a few months ago, I'm like, you know what, let's just book a call and see what happens. And of course it was like opening up a can of worms of all this stuff that sure. I wasn't like crying and, you know, super emotional about it, but it made me realize I had some blocks going on in my business with my clarity, my vision, you know, I was procrastinating a lot. That's why I booked the call. I was procrastinating and I wanted to talk to her about how do I figure out why I'm procrastinating? And it turns out it was because I wasn't clear on my vision. So huge value in that sense. So that's, that's the main difference with the paid mastermind is you get so many extra layers of service and value in addition to being in that, that community. Got it. Totally makes sense. And I, you know what? I didn't even realize that I'm sort of in something like that. It's the, I will teach you to be rich accelerator, which is kind of the same sort of deal. There's like experts in certain areas. No, no tech people. That sounds really cool. Mm -hmm. Cause like remits program. That's right. So I've made a ton of mistakes, uh, growing my business and I make, you know, more mistakes now, just bigger ones. So just curious, can you share any mistake stories that you made uh, through the transition or in your current business now? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm thinking back to the earlier days of my business, some of the bigger mistakes. And I think the mistakes started to happen when there's a saying, new level, new devil. So you hit a new level in your business, but it doesn't mean that it's just rainbows and cherries and lollipops. You have new problems that you're dealing with. So I really felt this when my business hit a point where it was time to hire contractors. And I was not very careful with my hiring at all. And in the first year of my business, I went through a lot of contractors. I just could not find the right fit. And it was for various reasons. You know, someone would refer me a name and because they were a referral, I wouldn't do any homework, any vetting on this person. You know, I'd have a quick chat with them and everything sounded great, but I wouldn't do any like trial work together. There was just very little testing. And then after a month or two going through the training process, which is a big you know, output on your part, I would then come to realize like, Ooh, their skill is actually not where I need it to be. Or, Oh, they actually want to work with me so that they can replicate and do the same thing for their business, which is dangerous. Not, not what you want to do if you just hire someone and share all your business secrets. Right. Um, so it's taken me years to properly hire. I'm not going to lie. And it was, only a few months ago when I got really serious about hiring a marketing assistant because for so long I held on to everything. Like, oh, I just can't let someone else into my business. No one's going to be able to do this the same way I can do it. But then when I realized I was like a chicken with its head cut off, like, like so ADD almost because I had so many tasks and I really wasn't getting any one of them done well. That's when I hit my, you know, my wall. And I was so meticulous about hiring. I, it took a little bit longer. I created so many hoops for this person, for all the candidates. And that is, it actually worked out really, really well, knock on wood. Um, but yeah, learning from those mistakes. So I'll just give you a quick little recap of what I did because your, your viewers may or may not be ready to hire, but when you are, make sure you write out a super detailed job description. A lot of people miss this first step and which actually shows that they're not super clear on what they want and what they need. So really take the time to think out and just say like very literally what tasks you want this person to do. So once you have that down, I just used a simple application form through Google. What is it? Not Forms. sheets. Forms. Yes. Super simple. Within that application form, I had a personality test. I'm not really into Myers-Briggs so much, but I used the DISC assessment, which I found super helpful. So I actually took the assessment myself to see where my strengths were. And I was looking specifically for someone to have strengths in the other areas to balance, to balance me out. So I had all applicants like fill in this test, which was a hoop that I wanted people to jump through. I had a lot of questions on the application form. I had room for them to fill in essays if they wanted to. And that was intentional because I wanted to see who was going to go through the effort to, to really sell themselves in the application form. And then once I narrowed down the candidates, I think I got on a call with maybe five to seven of them. And that was really just to meet them, ask more personality based questions, because at that point it was less about finding the right skill person. It was more about, we're going to be working closely together. Are we going to get along? And are you on the page that I need you to be for my business? 
And after the phone call, if I wanted to still see more from them, I actually gave them an assignment and I didn't tell them about it on the call. I just gave them um, a somewhat tricky assignment with not a whole lot of instruction on what I wanted the end result to be. And I asked them to do it based on the tools we'd be using anyway. So I kind of wanted to see how they'd figure it out. And if they did ask me a million questions, like what would the dynamic be? And from there, I assessed who finished the assignment, what they submitted. And then um, I really narrowed down my candidates to two or three people. Um, and then I followed up with their references. And then based on that, I made a decision. So, Wow, that is pretty involved. But that's like a perfect way to do it, like just layer after layer. And like, that's really smart. And what inspired you to do it that way? just by making so many mistakes before, <laughs> like, sure. like taking people's word too often, not, yeah, just, or not even being clear exactly on what I would need. So yeah, I kind of made this one up. I didn't, I didn't get this process, you know, told to me by anyone else. I just made it up based on what made the most sense to me and what hoops I knew I wanted to see someone jump through to prove to me that they were the right person for the job. Sometimes when we're hiring, we're kind of like, we have an opposite mentality, like, Oh, am I going to find the right person? And it's kind of this like, like vibe of desperation, but really what you're putting out there is this job opportunity for someone, which is awesome. And they're going to get to step inside your business and learn, like, you got to make sure that they are the right person for you. You are, you know, waving and handing out a golden ticket to someone who's the right fit. So yeah, protect your business, make sure it's the right person before you let them in. I like that phrase vibe of desperation. It's like a band, right? <laughs> you, you, it's true. And you see it in Facebook groups all the time. Like someone's business is burning down and they're like hosting in business Facebook groups, like desperate to hire someone to fix and come in and be the firefighter. Like if your business is burning down, you gotta, you gotta figure that out first before you try to hire someone like yeah, to, for to real. no one will be the savior. No one will be the savior for your business. <laughs> Okay, we're we're coming towards the end here and this is the, you know, side hustle business ideas that you may have, maybe you don't have time to pursue. You sound very busy, you probably don't have time to do it. So, do you have any ideas? Yeah, I have a ton of ideas. I have my seven streams of revenue mapped out for my business for the next year. Um, I'm probably halfway through them all. But as I continue to grow my team and scale my business, what I would love to do if I had more time um, is actually e-commerce product sales. I'm super interested in that. I've gone to quite a few business conferences this past year, and the emphasis on Amazon especially was really, really eye-opening. So I am working in the background on learning about e-commerce and physical product sales. So that's one area I'm super interested in. The other is affiliate marketing as well. That's another area I know next to nothing about. So I'm also working on that for my business in learning what it takes to, uh, you know, leverage affiliate marketing. Yeah. Like when it comes to side hustle ideas of services, it's really interesting. You know, if you're listening right now and you're wondering what you could offer, it's really, really helpful to get on a phone call with a business owner like myself or like Doug and ask them like, what is so annoying for you to deal with during the day or what keeps you up at night? Because it can be as specific as, 
you know, offering a service to run someone's Instagram stories for them. There has been so much buzz on Instagram this year, especially. And when I talk to business owners, they are stressed out about it. They do not want to deal with it. The time it will take, they don't want to put their life, you know, you know, for, for all the world to see. So you could get super specific. Like if you figure out a system to, just run someone's Instagram stories for them. Like that's a service someone will, will pay you for every single month so that they don't have to stress about it. So I'd encourage you to, to really look to the nitty gritty details of a business. Even, you know, like Doug has a podcast, like you could do something so specific as just learning podcast editing software and being the go-to podcast editor or the go-to podcast publisher. So I really recommend looking into those niche skills. And if you don't have them, there's a ton of online courses you can take these days to to get up to speed. So that would be my recommendation for someone who's looking at a service-based business in today's day and age. Yes, I think, yeah, you nailed it. I was going to say, Elise is very busy. I am too. So we probably won't just like jump on calls with random people. But if you have a good pitch, then maybe, right? (laughs) So, yeah. And actually your, your invitation to me to join you on this for today's um, recording, it was perfect. Like that was a cold email pitch. We didn't know each other before you emailed me. And I actually shared it with my um, freelance business students and I blurred out your name, but I said, this is an example of a cold email pitch that's to the point. Awesome. And it makes it a no brainer to say yes. So Cool. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Elise. Really appreciate it. And where can people find you? Well, of course, there's Instagram at Elise Dharma is my handle. And then my hub for all my blog posts about Instagram marketing, freelance business, um, my free masterclass, that's all hosted at elisedharma.com. Or if you want just the masterclass, it's three secrets to gain a thousand Instagram followers in 30 days. That's over at instagrowth.com boss.com. All right. And we'll have links for all that stuff. So if you're listening to the podcast or you're watching it, like it'll be easy to get to all this stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Doug. Thanks again to Elise Dharma for joining me on the Doug show. Do check out EliseDharma.com, and if you're interested in checking out her free course, 100% free, the 30-day challenge to grow your Instagram following to 1,000, check it out. It's over at instagrowthboss.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, tell a little story. So this is episode 18 of The Doug Show, and obviously I've published about 17 previous episodes before this one. So I'm kind of, you know, learning my way around still, but I get questions all the time about outsourcing various tasks, whatever it may be. Um, Most of the time people are asking about affiliate sites and content and hiring writers, maybe hiring editors, maybe hiring a content manager or someone to do WordPress stuff or whatever. So it doesn't really matter what kind of outsourcing you're thinking of, a lot of times We want to outsource things too soon. The reason why I'm mentioning this now is I am literally, literally editing my own podcast. I'm doing the intros. I'm doing the outros. I'm doing all the stuff in GarageBand, if you care. I'm uploading the 
you know, MP3s to my podcast hosting company called Castos. I'm uh, doing other sort of audio editing uh, to clean up the audio as I'm getting a little bit better. I'm using a tool called uh, Auphonic and it seems fine. But the reason why I'm mentioning this is we often want to try and outsource things. We try and optimize things before we know what the hell we're doing. And I knew that there would be several different uh, like processes to go through as I was refining and figuring out how to publish this podcast, have clean audio and have a system, a workflow where I can record the audio, have it edited, uh, publish it to uh, iTunes and all the other different uh, directories out there and then have the audio placed into a like video format so that it will be automatically published on YouTube. At this point in time, it looks like uh, YouTube is actually like 50% of the listens or views or whatever. Um, so that is an important piece of the puzzle for me. So why am I telling you all this? The point is I am doing all of this stuff so I could figure out the process that will be. And I've done this multiple times uh, over and over again. Like you kind of have to suffer through the process and figure out what you need to do before you outsource it or optimize it or make it more efficient or whatever. Like you literally have to go through the process. If you don't go through the process, for example, let's say I wanted to outsource certain pieces right away. I have the resources, right? I have the money to pay some companies to do the editing, to add the intros, to add the outros and all that kind of stuff, maybe even to do the show notes. But the thing is, I'm not 100% sure on the production side of it. So if I would have hired a podcast editing company and then, uh, you know, ask them to do certain things, I maybe wouldn't understand the process and I wouldn't realize there were areas that could be optimized or improved. For example, this whole process of like uploading and having a video created based on the audio and automatically published on YouTube, I've had to go through a couple iterations on how that's going to work. In fact, the, you know, the company that I'm doing the podcast hosting with, at least for this show, it's called Castos and everything seems fine. They have a very nice plugin, but they had some bugs as far as the YouTube interface goes. And deep behind the scenes, if you are actually a uh, you know a video watcher on the YouTube side and you've listened to a few of these and you happen to subscribe on like iTunes or some other directory as well, you may have noticed that sometimes the videos were coming out before the audio version. And of course, that is not what I intended at all. I was trying to have things published on a, you know, on the right schedule. I mean, you want to be able to schedule your podcast to go out ahead of time so I don't have to like hit publish at the time that I'm supposed to publish the episode and all that kind of stuff. Well, there was some kind of bug on the, you know, Casto side that basically um, caused whatever whatever audio file I uploaded, it was immediately published on YouTube. Behavior, which I don't, I didn't want to happen. Uh, to me, it was a significant bug. So I've like figured out a way around it. I've changed my plan on the Castos, uh, you know, account so that I'm not paying extra for that. But I mean, this is a critical fucking piece of uh, functionality that was completely messed up. So I was publishing was publishing a podcast early out of order and they were immediately being published on YouTube. Basically it looks like I don't know what I was doing at all, but as I, you know, as I was going through, 
um, the process, I didn't realize that was going to be a major issue. Again, if I would have tried to outsource this on the early side, maybe had a VA do some activities and told them what to do, I wouldn't have seen exactly what was going to happen. The moral of the story is you don't want to outsource things too soon. You probably, in most cases, if you have the time to do it, you should probably go through the process on your own if you're a do-it-yourself. All right, I'll put that caveat in there. I like to know how things are done. I feel like I'm generally technically proficient and I can generally figure things out. So in that case, if you're like me, then it's probably worthwhile to figure out how to do things, and then you can, uh, you know, hire people, automate it in some fashion. But if you if you haven't figured out how to do something yet, usually you're going to end up with like more headaches at the end of the day if you haven't gone through the process on your own. At least that's my take. I'm sure there's some other schools of thought where someone you know wants to have white glove service and they will outsource everything immediately to have someone else handle it. That's not exactly my style, so. I kind of suffer through the process at first, and then I will go to outsource it. Thanks a lot for joining me today on The Doug Show. If you enjoyed this episode, that is fantastic. You will love the next episode. I am interviewing another digital nomad, Zoe Paulson. She is known as Zoe Ariel on YouTube, and she has a very big following. And um, this is another case where I reached out to a influencer, much larger, uh, much more influenced than myself. I just had a good pitch, I guess. So when I contacted Zoe, I think she had close to 100,000 followers on YouTube. And my channel was only, um, I think I had a couple thousand followers maybe. So it was awesome to do the interview and that episode is coming out very soon. If you have a few spare moments, it would be fantastic if you left a rating and review on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts or with these digital nomad interviews, you can just tell people. Maybe you share it on uh, Instagram or on email or on Facebook or somewhere else wherever you can share it. It would be really cool if you let other people know. I think these interviews are really inspiring, which is why I do them. So there's a few in the uh, previous couple episodes and there's some new ones coming up. So just keep an eye out if you're in that digital nomad space. I think it could be very interesting. Thanks for listening.